0: Hello and welcome to Grapevine brought to you by the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association this is volume number 40 week 49 Online edition 37, recorded on the 4th of December, 2020. In the news this week, what are the rules for a tier two area? And the Knitting Queen has been at it again. And the Postmistress of 27 years retires. An absolute shock Clifftop Cafe teetering on the brink closed amid demolition fears. Well hello, and if you were expecting the mellifluous tones of Aileen, well I'm sorry, she's poorly, so you've got me again. and I'm meandering through the pages of the Mercury from December 1962 and a contribution from Sean entitled Joker's Corner, or whatever. (laughs) So, if you're sitting comfortably, then I'll begin. And can I just apologise once more for the rustle of newspaper because I'm not able to get any online editions from Graham So I'm sitting here with the pages of the EDP and the Mercury, so doing it myself. So my apologies. And the first item is an absolute shock. Clifftop cafe teetering on the brink closed amid demolition fears. A teetering cafe at risk of falling into the sea has been shuttered and emptied amid fears it faced demolition. Some 7 feet of material was reportedly lost from the back of the Dunes Café at Winterton overnight, with the whole stretch scarred by severe erosion. Railings and debris are visible at the bottom of the cliff. In response, the toilets and car park are both closed and safety warnings have been issued about climbing on the newly eroded cliffs or walking under them. James Bensley, whose Borough Council Ward includes Winterton, said he was also applying for Beach Road to be completely shut off, to deter sightseers and minimise the danger. He said the cafe's position was now too dangerous and demolition teams would likely move in by the end of the week. The only silver lining was the community effort that saw villagers come together to help clear the building, he added. He said... The amount of material that had been taken in the storms was unbelievable, in what was a fast-moving situation. People at the scene said they saw the building being emptied Tuesday morning, with the contents being taken off to the cafe's other site at Acle Riverside and Waxham Barn. Jamie Denton, manager of the nearby Hermanus complex, was among those helping out. He said the scale of the damage caused by Monday nights, high tides and strong winds had been an absolute shock. Clearing the cafe had been quite a community effort and everyone was pulling together to help the owners out. The cafe has long been popular with walkers and wildlife fans, its popularity boosted by the seal season which brought even more visitors to the wilderness dunes and beach. For Jan Hewitt, who owns the land trying to combat the erosion, has been a constant and costly battle. Eric Lund, former parish council chairman and seal warden, said he understood the alarm had been raised by fishermen at around 8am. He said, it seems they are clearing out the cafe to demolish it. If it goes onto the beach, it is going to be a lot more expensive. Safety warnings were issued last week about steering clear of the area at the base of the cliffs, where material was overhanging. Permission for a mobile catering unit in the car park has already been granted, as a backup plan in case the worst happened. On Tuesday afternoon, news of the erosion had drawn a steady stream of sightseers, taking pictures on their phones and bemoaning the damage. It's just such a sad scene, one woman said. Now, death of Great Yarmouth legend at 49 leaves town in mourning. A coastal town is in mourning after the death of one of its biggest and most unforgettable personalities. Andrew Mavrudis, a Great Yarmouth legend, known widely throughout the nightclub and hospitality industry, passed away on November the 25th from a heart attack at the age of just 49. His elder brother and business partner Chris Mavrudis said, My brother, known as Mav or Mavi, was just a year younger than me and we grew up like twins. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor a year ago, but it was the heart attack which killed him. He was pumped so full of steroids for his chemotherapy, his body just couldn't cope anymore. Andrew had three older siblings. Jenny, Catherine, and Chris, and while all were born in Great Yarmouth, his parents were originally Greek Cypriot and came here in 1964 when they took over the Horseshoe Cafe on St Peter's Road. Throughout his life, Andrew and his brother ran various restaurants and nightclubs around town, such as Mission Bar, The Rock Bar, Caesar's and The Bloater King. Mrs Coomer said... He lived life to its fullest and loved absolutely everybody. I can't express how much we will miss him. And his brother added, You could have called him Mr Great Yarmouth. He knew everyone and he treated them all the same. It didn't matter who you were or where you came from. A taxi driver stole from firm. A taxi driver abused his employer's trust by stealing more than £17,000. Shane Simmons, 35, who was a long-term worker for Albies Taxis in Suffering Road, Great Yarmouth, exploited a loophole in the chip and pin system to steal the cash from his employer, Norwich Crown Court heard. Russell Butcher, prosecuting, said Simmons had worked for the company on and off for 10 years, both as a driver and also did shifts as a dispatcher. He said that Simmons used various methods to steal the cash over an eight-month period, including using a loophole he had identified in the chip and pin system to take fraudulent cashbacks. Mr. Butcher said there is an element of planning and ingenuity. He said that Simmons had breached the trust of his employer by targeting a vulnerability in the system. When challenged, Simmons at first denied the thefts but when shown the records, later admitted what he had done and said he wanted to pay the cash back. Simmons of Elm Grove, Gorston, admitted fraud between April the 22nd and December the 18th last year. Jailing him for 12 months, Judge Catherine Moore said he had abused the trust of his employer. She accepted the fraud was not sophisticated, but said you displayed an amount of ingenuity Andrew Oliver, for Simmons, said that he was under a great deal of stress at the time. He said that he was suffering over the death of his brother and was trying to look after his mother and he went to pieces. He said in hindsight he now realises he should have given himself an opportunity to grieve. He said that Simmons had now got help from his GP and had been treated for depression. He knows and he has accepted that stealing from his employer in this way was wrong. Mr Oliver said he should have sought help. He said it was not a sophisticated fraud and the blame was never laid on anyone else. He said that it only went on for an eight month period and he had shown remorse. He said that Simmons wanted to repay the cash. He does not have any assets but he wants to pay at a monthly rate. And this is all about the new COVID marshals. Dozens more coronavirus marshals will be introduced across Norfolk to act as the eyes and ears of the district. Once lockdown is lifted, it's been announced. Norfolk County Council, which since June has received over £7 million as part of the government's Contain Outbreak Management Fund, is pumping a chunk of the cash into COVID support officers. As well as helping bring down the county down into Tier 1 through encouragement and advice, they will act as messengers for environmental health teams who can take legal action against repeat offenders. Some districts such as Norwich and Great Yarmouth already have martial equivalents, but from next Monday, all boroughs will have some form of visible presence to keep the public in line. Highlighting the importance of his role, Tom McCabe, Norfolk's Resilience Forum Chairman said The feedback on their role has been largely positive, with our communities recognising that these officers are working with them to keep us all safe. Great Yarmouth, which has had marshals in place since October following a spike in cases, will be increasing the number of patrolling officers from 6 to 10, with an additional cohort of flexible officers be drawn on when necessary. They will continue to patrol schools and leaflet high-risk households. Now this is quite important I think so just be aware and the headline is Cold Caller Warning. Households have been warned to be alert for bogus cold calls, threatening arrest over unpaid taxes. Norfolk Trading Standards is urging people to hang up, and dealing with complaints from people left worried by the unsolicited calls. A spokesman said, we continue to receive reports from Norfolk residents about telephone cold calls claiming to be from HM Revenue and Customs. Recent reports have included an automated recorded message call informing the call recipient that HMRC have issued a warrant for your arrest due to tax evasion. These calls are appearing to come from a number of different spoofed numbers. It comes after self-employed taxpayers were also urged to stay alert to scams offering fake rebates or refunds. HMRC has responded to more than 846,000 reports of suspicious contact with almost 50,000 coming from taxpayers offered bogus rebates in the last year. Now you can report suspected scam telephone calls via the Citizens Advice Consumer Helpline on 0808 223 1133, so please just be aware. Now how much money has been spent, this headline says. Street lamp lit for 12 years, still not fixed. A street light that has been on for 12 years straight is still illuminated both day and night six months after promises to fix the issue. In July, Highways England said action was being taken and arrangements put in place to repair the light on the A47 near the Beckles Road slip road in Galston. This was after local resident Pete Marney, who lives on Borough Road and can see the street light from his kitchen reported the issue frustrated by the amount of money and electricity that must have been wasted over the years. He said the light has not been switched off since 2008. Now that the leaves have come off the trees I can see another three of them on as well Mr Marnie said. They said they were going to fix them back in July but nothing has happened and they are still on for 24 hours a day. "'How much money has been spent? Money is tight all round at the moment,' he added. According to Mr Marney, he first reported the issue to the Great Yarmouth Borough Council ten years ago, but nobody ever replied to him. A spokesperson for Highways England said the street lights operate from a photo cell, which tell the lights when it is light and to turn off, and when it is dark to remain on. When the photocell fails, the light's default is to remain on. Hence, while it's not ideal they stay on in the day, it's not an emergency repair as they're still on at night. We thus look to replace these photocells as part of ongoing cyclical maintenance. The spokesperson said it is expected the light will be repaired in spring next year. As it's on a slip road rather than the central reservation, it's a bit more complicated for our traffic management teams to address it as it requires a different setup from the rest. We'll identify what other maintenance issues need addressing in the area so we can do as much as possible during our traffic management, Highways England said. Now, this headline says, I gave it a good run Postmistress of 27 years retires due to coronavirus crisis. A dedicated postmistress is retiring after 27 years in the job and more than half a century after her family first set up the Lifeline village branch. Friday was the last day for Borough Castle's postmistress, 65 year old Josie Thomas who took over the Great Yarmouth Village branch from her auntie Lillian in 1993. Though Lillian retired in her seventies, she could still be found chipping in with the management of the store until she died at the age of 103 last year. Mrs Thomas's family, the Liffens, who also owned nearby Liffin Holiday Park until it was bought by Parkdean Resorts 15 years ago, set up the Butt Lane Post Office in 1969 to fill a gap in the market. Mrs Thomas said, My father built an extension on his mother's home so that Lily could open a post office and shop for the village. She was a civil servant and it came naturally to her. Though Mrs Thomas left Borough Castle for a while and had a career stint as a John Player cigarette representative, She decided to return to the family business after meeting her husband. She said, Riding around for motorsport competitions and sitting on fancy cars was extremely fun, I can't lie. But I was happy to come back. I'd always been part of the post office, one way or another. This year, due to COVID-19, she said the venture had become financially unsustainable and that quite simply, she had had enough. I had to make someone redundant in June because we weren't making enough money and that was horrible, she said. Besides, I've given it a good run. Those of us who work there are getting on and we were worried about being exposed to the virus. My husband Tom and I are going to incorporate the extension into the family home and give it a real bit of TLC. This afternoon, That was way back, or probably Monday or Tuesday. Mrs Thomas, her husband, sister, post office manager Edie Jones and former staff members Jane Burton and Jane Morrison gathered for a drink in the post office's honour. Samantha Sanson, post office area manager, said, We know how important a post office is to a community and we will be looking to see how we can best restore post office service to the village as soon as possible. Well, congratulations and happy retirement to you. And just to lighten up the mood with all this bad news around, Here we have Joker's Corner, so stand by, and this is from Sean, nothing to do with me, I just read it out. And the joke is, why are coffee beans such troublemakers? Because they keep getting into hot water. Oh, Sean, he has actually given me two more jokes, but I think I'll retain those for another day. Right, and now I'm meandering off through the Mercury again. And this time I'm taking you back to December 1962. And the first headline to catch my eye was School girls Model Swimwear. Seven girls from Styles School modelled outfits ranging from beachwear to full length evening dress. The models were Rosalie Barron, Stephanie Goose, Pamela Butcher, Joy Trainier, Georgina Maddox, Jennifer Jones and Doreen Kelly. An entertainment now at the cinema. The Regent was showing The Wild and the Willing with Virginia Maskell and Ian McShane. Pat Boone in the main attraction at the Regal. And in the quiet backwaters of Galston, the good old collie had Naked as Nature Intended with Pamela Green. Oh, my word. now in case there was any violence on the streets because of those risque titles the new police station opened its doors for the first time on the corner of the conge and howard street there was just one baby born at the general hospital on christmas day deborah reed who was born to mrs pamela reed of Spens avenue galston and she was presented with a premium bond now Christmas shopping at Arnold's, good old Arnold's, in 1962. Well, you could buy a double nylon shorty nighty for 31 and sixpence and you could choose from a large range of dolls starting at 28 and 6pence, a chemistry set for 21 shillings and Old Spice gift sets from 35 shillings. Platons in the row had men's pyjamas from 24 and 6pence. Slippers at 27 and sixpence and lady stockings three and elevenpence a pair. And entertainment again. You could go to the carnival night on Christmas Eve at the Floral Hall and dance the night away with the Gordon Edwards band. Tickets six shillings. Now who can remember the large sparkling ball that lit up the dance floor? I can, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm showing sure my age now. And there were late buses too. There was also a Boxing Night special, Jingle Bell Rock and Twist Ball. Shrubland's panto was Beauty and the Beast and it was very well received. The part of Beauty was played by Bridget Green, The Beast by Patricia Bear. Other parts, Jock Campbell, John Woods, Margaret Campbell, Morris Raven and Robert Tyler. And the Gilbert and Sullivan Society, under the directorship of Bernard Gooch, staged Patience at the Town Hall. Now Those taking part were John Bales, Robert Bordley, Paula Smith, Helen Leggett, William Webb and David Buchan. Now talking of the late buses from the Floral Hall, who can remember standing in the freezing cold bus shelter? I can and it was a long way back to Newtown if I missed the blue bus back to the depot. Now another headline that caught my eye was, "White Christmas came on Boxing Day." Yarmouth just having missed a White Christmas, the festival was ushered in by bitter winds on Christmas Eve, a light sprinkling of snow Christmas Day evening, but it began to snow heavily on Boxing Day morning, when parts of the River Yare alongside Caster Road froze over. And what was the hit tune of December 1962? Well, I'm sure you'll all remember this, it was Elvis Presley singing Return to Sender. And to end on my favourite topic, yes the good old Christmas spirit, purely medicinal to keep out the cold, Bax were selling half bottles of amontillado sherry at eight shillings, London gin 35 shillings, and Henneke's three-star brandy at 43 and fourpence. Cheers, everybody. Happy Christmas. Return the cinder Return the cinder
1: I gave a letter to the postman He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning He brought my letter back she wrote upon it, the sender, address unknown. No such number, no such zone. We had a quarrel, a lover's respect. I. In a special deep, bright and early next morning, It came right back to me. She wrote upon it, returned the sender, address unknown. No such person, no such zone. This time I'm gonna take it myself. When I'll understand
0: is a sad story. A man whose moped was stolen has made an emotional plea for it to be returned. Norfolk Police have said they are investigating the theft of a moped from a car park in Louise Close, Great Yarmouth between 10 p.m. on Tuesday November the 24th and 8 a.m. on Wednesday November the 25th. David Bray who owns the moped said I'm disabled, with COPD, and I can't walk very far because I get out of breath. The 42-year-old, who lives on Abyssinia Road in Great Yarmouth, used the moped to go shopping and visit his family. When he noticed the moped was missing on Wednesday morning, he started crying, he said. That was my life, that bike, he added. I got my license to drive it when I was 40, and now I'm 42, and then this happens. To the person who took the moped he said give it back i need it it's the only way i can get out and about norfolk police said inquiries are ongoing and anyone with information should contact norfolk police on 101 quoting reference number 36-83067-20 and this is the knitting great great grandmother story and the headline is the most difficult one yet knitting queen unveils latest piece of royal estate a great great grandmother known as norfolk's knitting queen has woven together a replica of the church at sandringham and is now planning to complete the whole royal estate margaret seaman from Caister spent three months creating her woollen version of St Mary Magdalene Church where members of the Royal Family attend Christmas services. The 91-year-old's knitted miniature of Great Yarmouth's Golden Mile has been displayed at craft fairs around the country, and earlier this year her Sandringham House was featured on Good Morning Britain with Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. Mrs Seaman said I'd done half of Sandringham last year, with the intention of doing the other half this year, so it's ready for a craft fair in Norwich next February. Those plans were put on hold when the country went into lockdown in March. And Mrs Seaman turned her attention instead to knitting a tribute to the Nightingale Hospitals she dubbed Nightingale, which won the praise of Prime Minister Boris Johnson. She spent three months on that before resuming her Olia project. I've just finished the church and now I will start on the museum and stables and tea rooms to complete the estate, she said. She said knitting the church was her most difficult project yet and she went with her daughter Patricia Wilson two or three times to Sandringham where they took pictures to help with the recreation. For the model to resemble the original as closely as possible, Mrs Seaman knitted almost 100 trees, each one with hundreds of tiny leaves, to stand at the back of the church. I'm just happy with it now, it's finished, she said. The first half of the knitted estate measures approximately 7 feet squared and when complete, the entire model will measure 14 square foot. Currently plans are to display the creation at the Forum in Norwich at a craft fair beginning on February 3rd next year. Mrs Seaman said her knitting projects have helped her to get by during the pandemic. I have a lot to do, so I haven't really been fed up with it, she said. Mrs Seaman is raising money for Norfolk's three hospitals and is reckoned to have raised tens of thousands over the years through her creations. Now To donate you can go to www.justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash Margaret for Norfolk and well done to you! What are the rules for a Tier 2 area? MPs have voted on a tougher tier system across England to follow the end of the second national lockdown, but what does that mean for Norfolk? The vote meant a continuation of the three-tier approach and sees 99% of the country placed in the two highest levels of restrictions. Norfolk was placed in Tier 2. So what exactly are the rules and what guidelines will need to be followed? Currently, this is what is expected in Tier 2 areas. No mixing of households indoors aside from support bubbles will be allowed, with a maximum gathering of 6 permitted outdoors. Pubs and bars will remain closed unless operating as restaurants, with alcohol only served as part of a substantial meal until 10pm before venues must close at 11pm. All retail, leisure and personal care services are able to reopen. The people will be encouraged to reduce the number of journeys they make and to avoid travelling into Tier 3 areas except for reasons of work or education. Overnight stays will only be permitted for those in the same household or support bubble accommodation can open. Places of worship can reopen but people must not interact with anyone outside their household or support bubble. 15 guests will be allowed at weddings and civil partnerships increasing to 30 for funerals. Classes and organised sport can take place outdoors but not indoors if there is any interaction between two different households. Large events, including the sport and live performances, will be open to the public, but limited to 50% capacity or 2,008 outdoors and 1,000 indoors. <music> I was genuinely worried. St George's theatre director talks about issues of reopening in Tier 2. A theatre director has been sharing the upsides and downsides of reopening after Tier 2 restrictions. Debbie Thompson, director of St George's Theatre in Great Yarmouth, which reopens today, that's Friday, said her initial reaction to the announcement was mixed. I was surprised to be in Tier 2, I thought we'd be staying in Tier 1. It seems odd that we went from a lower tier to a higher tier, especially after having been in lockdown, but we're delighted to be able still to open, she said. The only headache has been that audience members cannot mix indoors with people outside their bubbles, she added. We've spent the last few days ringing people who had booked a table explaining they could only sit with people in their household bubble. The majority of people have been fine. Only some people have had to cancel. That's been the downside. The upside is at least we can do the show. The theatre the theater is staging two pantomimes in the run-up to Christmas. A late-night panto for adults called Robin Wood opening on Friday and the children's panto, Rapunzel, beginning on December the 15th. Robin Wood will run every weekend during December. Miss Thompson said, That's selling extremely well. It's a bit of a laugh, an escape from reality for a while. The family panto will also be streamed live to schools across England on December the 16th with a staggering 100,000 children having already signed up to watch the show. We're particularly pleased with that, since pantomime is often children's first engagement with theatre, so we're delighted that that can happen, Miss Thompson said. And some good news at last! (laughs) Relief in the streets as lockdown lifts and the shops reopen once more. The festive season got off to a promising start in Great Yarmouth as shoppers headed out for the first time in a month on Wednesday. Though a handful of residents were tentative about hitting the high street so soon after lockdown, many shoppers around market gates and the marketplace thought it was fantastic businesses could open again. Sylvia Berry, out with her husband, said there was nothing worse or more depressing than seeing shops with their shutters down. She said, I think it's fantastic being able to go shopping and brilliant seeing people out. Last month, the place was like a ghost town. It was totally dead. But now I'm getting into the Christmas spirit. Carol and Graham Channing were more relieved the shops were open for retailers' sake than their own. Mrs Channing said, it's exciting. We've been out buying Christmas decorations and we want to support local retailers because they've really suffered. Mike Wallace, who sat outside Sweet Creams on Regent Road, said what mattered to him was not shopping, but being able to watch the world go by. I'm 82 and I don't get out much. I've been desperate to sit here with a cup of my coffee at my favourite place and people watch, he said. When I woke up this morning, my first thought was, will Helen's place be open today? For Helen Evangelos, the cafe's owner, It has been heartwarming to have regulars waiting so eagerly on her return. Work on state-of-the-art £26 million marina centre set to begin in coming weeks. Construction of the £26 million marina centre along Great Yarmouth's Golden Mile will soon be underway. And the contractor is vowing to deliver a brilliant state-of-the-art centre for everyone across the borough. The contract has gone to Morgan Single Construction, which will take the lead in bringing Great Yarmouth Borough Council's architectural vision to fruition. According to the Council, site setup and groundworks will begin in the coming weeks. Piling of the foundations will then start this winter and the steel structure will go up in spring. Cladding will follow in summer with the internal works and fit out hopefully seeing the site user-ready by summer 2022. The finished product will have a six-lane 25-metre pool with disabled access, water flumes, splash pad, sports hall, indoor climbing zone, health and fitness gym and a cafe with fabulous sea views. Councillor Trevor Wainwright and council leader Carl Smith said this exciting milestone would give people something to look forward to. number 40, week 49, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. And it was recorded on Friday, December the 4th, 2020. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archib Limited and is used with their consent. The Great Yarmouth and Talking Newspaper Association accepts responsibility for editorial decisions made in the preparation of this recording. So that's it from me for this week. Wherever you are, goodbye, take care. And next week, you'll have Destiny with you. Have a safe week. Bye.